So I don't know if you remember, Matt, when we were eating dumplings in Los Angeles and we were first talking about the podcast, I kind of had two goals for the podcast, that maybe by the end of a year, we would have about a thousand subscribers, and that perhaps the podcast would have enough of a reach that we could reach out to someone like a Dan Schutte from the St. Louis Jesuits. I do remember that. I remember specifically saying, if we're going to do this crazy thing, what are we expecting to come from it? And, and I remember very clearly thinking in terms of a year out for both of those goals. And um, of course, I was pleasantly pleased that we were able to reach them both or surpass them both within the first three months of this podcast. Yeah, I can't believe we already have about 2,000 subscribers. I think it's actually a little more than that. And so, you know, we first wanted to begin this episode by just thanking you, our listenership, for the support, for sharing the podcast with people you know, uh, for the comments, for the likes. And so we hope you'll continue doing that. And in terms of our second goal, it was remarkable that we were able to have this opportunity, especially at NPM this last summer, to speak to so many composers that that neither you or I really knew. Uh, maybe we had met them, but we certainly didn't really know them that well. But even though they didn't know us, they believed in this concept and they were so excited to be able to talk about their music and the history of liturgical music post-Vatican II. Yeah, it's good that you make that point, because I remember when I first started playing at church with um, our ensemble, I started to become keenly aware of who was writing the songs. And there were, of course, a couple names that just keep coming up over and over again. And one of those names is Dan Schutte. I just started wondering, like, who is this guy? Like, where are these songs coming from? And, you know, for me, the podcast is really brought to life. Um, just who these people are, uh, these composers that live behind the music. Yeah, and so when Dan graciously agreed to sit down and speak to us, one of our first challenges was deciding just which which of his many songs do we begin with, and that was that was really difficult to try and try and pick one out of the entire catalog of Dan Schutte compositions. So please open your hymnal. To here I am, Lord. I the Lord of sea and sky. My name is Dan Schutte. I'm a composer, have been writing music for worship, it scares me to say this, for almost 50 years. I'm composer in residence at the University of San Francisco. My hand will say. I who made the stars. Here I am, Lord, uh, wouldn't exist without the help of a friend. At the time, I was studying theology as a young Jesuit in formation at the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley, California. And one day, one of my fellow Jesuits came knocking on my door and said, Dan, I have a favor to ask of you. I'm I'm in charge of the Jesuit diaconate ordinations coming up. So I said, okay, what's, what's the request? And he said, well, I'd like you to write a song for the preparation of gifts. And he probably saw the, the look of shock on my face because he was coming to me on Wednesday and the ordinations were on Saturday. 
He didn't know at the time he came knocking on my door that I was I was battling one of those awful flu uh, bugs that where it feels like someone poured concrete in your head, and uh, oh, you just want to just close your eyes and don't don't bug me. And of course, as as he's as he's leaving my room and saying goodbye, he says, "Oh, Dan, I forgot to mention the." The choir is having their final rehearsal on Friday evening, so they actually need their the music late on Friday, not even Saturday for ordination time. They need it on Friday night. So I I I told him, I said, you know, I I can't promise you, but I but I will promise you that I will try and do my best. So what? One of the, the mental pictures I have of beginning to write the piece was sitting at my desk with my guitar in my lap and a blank piece of staff paper in front of me and a pencil and, and saying a prayer uh, and, and telling God, you know, I don't know if I have this in me. I don't know where to begin, so I'm going to need a little, little help. I... Uh, Somehow, I don't remember exactly how I was led to uh, the scripture, the call of Isaiah, and um, there are parallel ones, call of Samuel, call of Jeremiah, and so forth in scripture that are, are often the same, but somehow I was led to that passage as, as a possibility. It, it seemed to fit with these guys who were about to be ordained deacons. So I sat and I worked on it for for two days and um, I don't I don't remember much about the two days that my next uh, clear memory was Friday afternoon taking what I had done and walking it the couple blocks to the other house where my friend lived and, and as I'm walking down the sidewalk I have the piece in my hand it was done in you know, on staff paper with pencil. And I remember, even as I was walking to his house, erasing words because I thought of something else and, you know, changing a note here and there. So until the very last minute I put this into his hands, um, I was changing things, and I I had no idea whether it was even going to work, much less whether it was any good. So they did it for the ordination on Saturday the next day, and to somewhat to my surprise, people loved it and and seemed to respond to it. So that's the that's the beginning of the story. Now, back in those days, I uh, was collaborating with four other young Jesuits, St. Louis Jesuits. And our, our way of operating with each other was that when we would write new songs, so sometimes people think the collaboration that we had as a group was that we, we worked on songs actually together, which is really not the case. Each individual composer would work on the piece and bring it, but then bring it to the group for critique and see what people's reactions were. So this is, oh, at least I would say six months 
after that ordination, the, the initial use of the piece, I had the opportunity to be with my, my brother Jesuits and share the piece with them. And they listened to it after they, I played it for them, and they listened to it, and they said, oh, damn, this is, this is really going to be a wonderful piece, but there's something wrong. And I, I look at them, and I said, what do, you, what do you mean there's something wrong? And, and they said, um, it was one of those sort of intuitive things. They couldn't, they couldn't really at first put their finger on what they were sensing, in that first hearing of the piece, but they said there's there's something that's not quite true to the human experience of God calling to us in our humanity and the way we respond to it. I should tell you at this point, the, the original words to the refrain were, uh, here I am, Lord, here I stand, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. Here's how they put it into words. They said, it seems the response of the person singing the words, here I am, Lord, it seems too confident. Uh, they didn't use the word arrogant, but I think they probably sensed that it could be. Is it, you know, it'd be like, uh, you know, if, if God's voice were coming to Superman or Wonder Woman and the person says, here I am. Send me. You know, I'll go do. What do you want me to do? Which is not. It's not our human experience, and it really, you know, when I look back to those passages uh, about the call of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Samuel, I, you're you're totally right. There was hesitation in each of those people. God was calling to be a prophet. My first response to their insight was. Um, was was pretty much um, resistance. Come on, let's, you know, I did my best. This, you know, that's that's a nuance. That's you know, nobody's going to pick that up. And but as I thought about it uh, in the days and weeks to come, I said, you know, I've learned to trust these guys. You know, after working with them many years, and they're sensing something in this piece that I need to see. I need to look at it and see where the truth might be in what they're saying. And of course, as soon as I did that, then, then I had to face the question, how in the heck am I going to fix this? How do I, in a matter of a couple little phrases of the piece, how am I going to enter that little bit of human self-doubt and hesitancy that we experience when God calls and we don't quite feel up to the task. I don't remember how I came up with the idea of making that second phrase of the refrain into a question, but it, it was, you know, one of those wonderful insights that that came with um, God's inspiration and and it I think it became sort of the perfect way of handling that uh, that nuance when we respond to God so in these last couple of months in my own life I've been doing a lot of discerning um, discerning for a new job 
uh, moving to a new parish, actually. And rarely, I think, does God ever really hit you over the head, but the way that things have fallen into place for uh, the new parish that I'm moving to, St. Ignatius of Loyola in Iamsville, um, it's it's pretty miraculous how it happens. And so I feel like I w- I've been like living out this song um, in the same dialogue that that the song um, creates here, you know, in the verses, um, God leading the way, and then there's still me in the refrain, uh, very much still, you know, willing to follow the call, but still having a little bit of doubt. And so to hear Dan talk about how the lyrics changed um, from here I stand uh, to is it I, I mean, really speaks to me personally right now in my life. And I, you know, I think for, for the assembly to have a vehicle of um, a text where we're, we're expressing confidence and where we're expressing a sincere desire to follow the Lord, but yet we're also unified in just, um, you know, these initial doubts and fears, I think is a very powerful, um, make, makes it a very powerful song and one that people connect to. To be able to say to God, um, you know, I want to be generous with you, but I'm not sure I'm, I can do what you're asking. You know, I'm, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm, I have a lot of self-doubts about my gifts and talents. Are, are, you, sh- are you sure I'm the, the one who should be going off to do what you're asking? Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I get emails. Every once in a while, I'll get an email from someone who will say, Now, Dan, in, in our hymnal, the, the words to the refrain are printed, Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Didn't, didn't, don't you mean it to be, Here I am, Lord? It is I, Lord. Because they, they feel the discomfort, I think, of that question. That question puts a person in that vulnerable state, you know, to be that way in front of God. Zach, we would be remiss if during this conversation with Dan Schutte, we did not spend some time talking about his membership in the St. Louis Jesuits. Yeah, you think about the extraordinary output of these composers. Um, it's just incredible how they shaped uh, the way that we sing at church, but also the way that composers for decades would approach writing liturgical music. And for me, the St. Louis Jesuits are compelling for a variety of reasons, but, but two in particular. One of them is that they are such a pioneering group in terms of when they're writing right out of Vatican II, really at the forefront of these new compositions for the church. And second, the fact that they're a group, period. The fact that there's this this collection of composers that are working together, challenging each other, supporting each other, and what that means in terms of how it affects their compositions. Working with the St. Louis Jesuits is, I consider, one of the hugest blessings in my life, personally, but also musically. Um, in many ways, it, it was, it's this wonderful story of a group of five guys who actually, 
I know for myself, and I think the other guys would say, say so too, of us inspiring each other to keep on doing and to, to get better at, at our craft. Within the group of five of us, uh, John Foley and Bob Dufford are our elders. So they're about five, six years older than I am. I'm right in the middle, and then Rock O'Connor is just a year behind me in age. And then Tim Mannion, sort of the, the, the baby of the group, is about four years younger than, than Rock. So there's a, a bit of an age span. Especially John Foley began writing music before any of the rest of us started doing that. John, John's earliest songs date back to the early 60s, like 64, 65 or so. And, and so when, so for instance, when Rock and I began our Jesuit training, we were, we were getting little uh, insights and, and pieces sent from, he, John was in a different province than we were. So one of the years of our novitiate, a group of guys from John's province came to visit us at our Wisconsin novitiate and brought with them John's music. And all of a sudden we were introduced to, to this music and, and it was al- he was already writing music for, for scripture. Very, very simple, short, short melodies. Many, much of it would be considered perfect responsorial psalms in our day and age, you know, with a short refrain that, that you could easily repeat after you hear it once. You can, can repeat it, and shorter ver- verses, but certainly based on scripture. And we started using that at our house of studies, and Rock and I began to say, you know, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way we could, you know, do something like John had. We were blessed in those days as well. We had, had this wonderful older Jesuit priest who <laughs> taught us math, uh, Father Ports, but he was, was a musician. He was our choir director at the seminary. One of the gifts he gave to us is he recognized in Rock and myself and a number of the other young guys in our classes a gift for music. And so he was the great encourager in our lives in those, those early years. And we, we would write little pieces, sometimes only half melodies and so forth, and we would bring them to Father Ports, and he would take a look at them. And, and sometimes he would say, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And he said, I think, it ne- I think you need a few more verses there, or, or the melody, you know, the melody right in this place. That, that's going to be hard for non-trained singers to sing. So he would point out these nuances to us, and And we'd go back and we'd work on it some more. And it would finally get to the place where, in his judgment, he would say, I I think we can start using this at Mass. Let's introduce this at Mass next week. Um, It was amazing and and looking back on it, such a terrific blessing for us to have someone who, who recognized the gift in us, but then encouraged us to follow it. You know, it wasn't just like someone who'd come along and say, oh, you know, you sing well or you play the guitar well. He was there kind of urging, nudging us to the next level all the way along. So that's how it began. And and then as when when Rock and I moved to St. Louis, John Foley and Bob Dufford were already there. They were there. 
their piece of training was at that point the, the what was called the theology uh, portion of training. So they lived in a totally different house. But Rock and I knew of them. We knew of John's music for sure, and, and we were beginning to hear of, of Bob Dufford's music. And it was from that, it, really, it, the collaboration we had began as this group of guys who loved music and who would play and sing for Mass. That's where it began. And it eventually morphed into um, something so much more than that, and our collaboration um, went beyond just those years in St. Louis to become something much bigger. Our Jesuit order is, is not often known to be one that supports the arts, you know, very uh, uh, specifically by any means. Um, there are horror stories of, of young Jesuits who had gone before us who wanted to go into the arts in one form or another, do a, do a MFA, you know, Master of Fine Arts degree, and we're told, um, I'm, we need you to study math because we need math teachers in our high schools. So this is another piece of the, of the blessing to us. So when, when Rock and I were in that novitiate, so this is the, the first two to four years of our training, one of the priests uh, in charge of us, Father Jack Searcher, um, loved music. He, was, he had a terrific voice and was one of those encouragers during those early years of the music. And, and I think he recognized in our music, you know, this is, this is something that we as the Society of Jesus uh, should listen to. We should listen to the gift that these guys have been given. And what what happened was so after after my four year those first four years, and Father Zercher was a part of those four years, we moved to St. Louis and Jack Zercher was named provincial of the Wisconsin province which means he's in charge of all the Jesuits who live within the realms of these five or six states, geographical states. So as we moved on to St. Louis uh, and continued our music writing, Jack Zercher was there who was willing, who was the voice among Jesuit superiors to say, no, these guys need to be given the time and the freedom and whatever financial resources they need to have in order to pursue, pursue this gift because I know it's something special. The, the fact that he happened to be at our novitiate and junior eight and happened to be, you know, assigned to be provincial of the province, you know, it's another one of those, those guidance of the Holy Spirit somehow in the midst of all of that. When Vatican II happened and we were able to experience the liturgy and the music and the scripture and the vernacular, I mean, it, it just can't be understated how important it was uh, when the when the St. Louis Jesuits started writing um, based on scripture. They taught scripture to 
an entirely new generation of Catholics who are now hearing the Mass, hearing um, these words in English for the first time. So I know for me, so much of um, my hearing of Scripture is rooted in also hearing uh, those songs, uh, those texts that were set. You know, Psalm 91 on Eagle's Wings, of course, but also Blessed Be the Lord, um, Dan Schutte. Um, Here I Am, Lord, the song we're talking about now, Isaiah 6, Only This I Want, uh, Philippians. And it's, you know, it's through music that I think a lot of us, whether we know it or not, internalize uh, so many of these sacred words and stories. Only this I want But to know I'm really glad that you mentioned the song, Blessed Be the Lord, Zach, because I have to take a pause here to do a quick shout out. Um, this is a shout out to all of the present and past residents of Zom Hall at the University of Notre Dame. It is a men's dorm, the premier men's dorm, one might say, at Our Lady's University. And like all other dorms on campus, on Sundays, there's a dorm mass. And in the chapel at Zom Hall, one of the absolute favorite best love songs is a composition by Dan Schutte, Bless Be the Lord. And you have not experienced that song until you go to a Zom Hall dorm mass and hear a couple hundred college men singing Bless Be the Lord at the top of their lungs, but not the melody, all of them singing the descant in falsetto. It's unbelievable. And if I had one weird, twisted dream, it would be to get Dan Schutte to one of those masses to hear it. He might be horrified, but I think he would be impressed. And I guarantee at the end of that liturgy, they would hoist Dan Schutte on their shoulders and carry him out like at the end of Rudy. And it would be a sight to behold. As you know, Zach, I live and work in a place that is run by a religious order, uh, the Benedictines here at St. John's Abbey. And it's something that I I appreciate so much being somewhere where a particular charism, a particular approach to life really imbues everything that we do. And so it made sense to me when Dan started talking about his membership in this group, the St. Louis Jesuits, um, how he started to share about how being Jesuit, their Jesuit charism and identity and formation, um, really flowed through everything they did and had an impact on the music that they wrote. And in particular, in the way that the group focused on scripture as the basis for the texts of their songs. The place where that comes from is this. It's, it comes from our Jesuit training um, and largely from the founder, Ignatius of Loyola, he, so he's, he's famous for his book called The Spiritual Exercises. And the spiritual, spiritual exercises of Ignatius are all formed around learning how to pray with Scripture. So from the day we entered the Society of Jesus and began our formation, we were taught how to pray with Scripture, how to use sacred Scripture as the source of our prayer. So when it came to that point, where we began to, to write music. And the obvious question, where, 
what are going to be the themes of the music I write, what, what kind of, of lyrics are going to help people who come to Eucharist, what, what's going to help them to pray. It wasn't like we set out consciously to say, um, we're going to write songs based on sacred scripture. It was, sacred scripture became the, the most obvious place for us to begin because that's where our prayer was. You know, and this, we, of course, we wanted the, the songs to be formed by our own experience of God in prayer and our own experience of, of praying at Eucharist. And so we went, it, it was like hand in glove. It was the most natural thing for us to do to begin using scripture for our music. Because our, our early music was used all within the context of our Jesuit communities. The, the communities formation that that we were growing in and you know uh, each stage of Jesuit formation moves you to a different community and to a different physical city and so forth as you go through the education and training so you know we began in our novitiate and junior eight and used the songs there and then we moved to St. Louis University and used the songs there and people from the outside began coming to our our liturgies at our house of study, um, many religious sisters and uh, young priests would come in those days to St. Louis to the university for a number of programs that they had, uh, renewal programs. We at our house of studies had were doing these liturgies with our music, and word got around both both around the university, but also around the city of St. Louis about the the music and the liturgies and the preaching and so forth that was happening there at St. Louis. And so what what started happening as soon as we opened the doors of our liturgies to outsiders is the priests and the nuns who were there in town and then people from the neighborhoods began coming to our house of studies for Sunday liturgy. So these, the people in the neighborhood started telling their local parishes about the music these young Jesuits were doing. The, the religious women and, and priests would go back to their places. Some of them, some of them sent, sent off to Japan and to Africa and work with Mother Teresa in India. And they would take copies of our music across the world. And so without knowing it, being much aware of it, our music was being disseminated to, to the church surely in the United States, but even beyond that, um, all through both the St. Louis Jesuit, but also my own personal story. There's, there's, there's been a very clear presence of, of the hand of God guiding it all. In other words, the Spirit of God was guiding us through all of that. You know, one of the main criticisms of a lot of these songs that we showcase on the podcast is that maybe they're overplayed or people complain of getting tired of these songs. Um, I know for me, I've played Here I Am, Lord, um, a countless number of times in my ministry. And, you know, I think the important thing to remember is that 
as music ministers, it's not about the music we're playing. I think for me, the thing that I never get tired of is hearing the sound of a fully engaged assembly singing their hearts out. Whatever song that is, that's something that never gets old. Yeah, I agree. And I I think if I have one hope for not just this podcast, but this episode and this song in particular, when we think about the times that we're in and the world that we're in and all of the things that are happening around us, um, that I hope this song can be sung anew by people who are familiar with it. And especially these important questions like, whom shall I send? Is it I, Lord? Um, That as we think about our response saying, here I am, and the constant need to say yes, to, to step up to the plate again, especially with what's happening in our world, that, that people can sing these words anew and can return to that, that deep core meaning, even though they've been singing this song perhaps all their lives. There's, there's that wonderful passage somewhere in, in the letters of Paul where he talks about um, our, our weakness being our greatest grace, our greatest blessing. And it's that, it's that weakness that it's, it's not necessarily our strength that we bring to say yes to God. Or, and it's not necessarily even our strength that is going to bless the lives of other people. Sometimes it's our weakness and our vulnerability that allows someone else to be vulnerable. The other part of saying yes is that I'm aware of is that it's not, it's not that in our lives we only say yes once, even to the big things, even to the big things of, of, of feeling like we're called to, to be married or called to religious life or, or called to pursue this career or this facet of education. Uh, in our lives, we, we're called to say yes over and over and over again because we, you're because we change, you know, and, and the call changes. And sometimes, sometimes as we go on, the call becomes a little clearer or, the, or a little bit more specific. And when it does, you know, we're at that place, well, I, I got to say yes again. Um, so I think that's another piece that people experience. And, and Probably part of the the enduring quality of it is that it doesn't matter where a person is on their journey of faith and where they are with whatever vocation and and journey they're on, because whether they're at the beginning of the journey or coming close to the end of the journey, they're still the saying yes. The, The number of people who tell me that so many people ask for here I am Lord to be part of their funeral mass at the very end of someone's life they want that moment to be able to one final time say here I am and now here is a recording of here I am Lord in its entirety the Lord of sea and sky. 
Thank you for listening to the Open Your Hymnal podcast. Here I Am, Lord, is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP on the album Walking the Sacred Path. Links to this material and other resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. We'd like to specially thank Dan Schutte for this interview. Production assistance and support was provided by Rick Modlin and OCP and Stephen Petronak and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. You can find important digital resources for music ministry at NPM's website, www.npm.org. If you aren't a member yet, sign up today. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to this podcast through iTunes and through Google Play. Our next episode will feature an interview with composer Tony Alonzo and his song, What You Have Done For Me. I am the hungry. We encounter so many people in our ministry, especially as musicians. We encounter people sometimes at the most wounded times in their lives, when they've lost a son or a mother or a sibling or a friend. And so I have been thinking quite a lot about the role of music in healing wounds. And I take that uh, very seriously. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. Thanks for listening. What you have-